It's another episode of Where You Are. In fact, this is the last interview of the season. So in two weeks for our final podcast of season one, Fox and I will take a look back at the season and offer some reflections on our experience. But for the penultimate episode of season one, I invited my friend Ben back to talk about education during the pandemic. But the discussion ranges far beyond education. It's always interesting to talk with Ben. He comes with a wealth of knowledge about all kinds of things from history to science to political philosophy. So even though our conversation started (laughs) with education, it took some detours, okay? Now, listen, we recorded the podcast on Zoom, so the quality may not be as good as previous podcasts. But I hope that you'll bear with us and forgive any sound glitches. And now, here's Ben. All right. Well, here we are with Ben talking on Zoom today because (laughs) we are quarantined in our homes. And I wanted to have you back, Ben, to talk about what's going on in education right now and get some ideas from you about how you're handling it as a teacher and ideas that you have about moving forward. And also just pick your brain about what's going on in general, because I like your viewpoint. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, but thanks, uh, thanks for having me again. So what is going on with you in terms of your classes? Was school just canceled or are you still teaching online? Yeah, so we uh, we at first kind of followed the, the progression, you know, of the announcement. So we went through school, what it was like Friday, March 20th or something. And then we were out until April 6th. And in beginning April 6th, we were going to start doing online based, whatever that's supposed to mean, until we came back. And then a couple weeks later, they said we're going to be out for the year. So, um, yeah, starting April 6th, we have switched to fully online classes. But now, I may, maybe I misunderstood you, but now you're, wait, you're still online or you're done? Each Monday, teachers post their uh, assignments and materials, and then we give students until the end of the week to turn something in, and then the next week, we kind of rinse and repeat. So, um, right. yeah, we are, we are giving students assignments. Um, the way we're doing those assignments and the way we're, you know, posting grades and things is a little bit unique. We're basically just once a week, no matter what assignment or assignments we give, we just enter it in the grade book is kind of, you know, distance education, grade one, grade two, grade three. Um, but yeah, so we are still giving assignments. Um, we're posting videos, you know, teachers are posting PowerPoints, uh, online books, all that. So, we really are trying to do, you know, a, a, an in-person classroom online as best we can. And how is that working out for you personally? <laughs> um, there are ups and downs. So luckily I, uh, I post all of my stuff on Google Classroom regardless. So even when we're not doing this distance education, um, distance education is just what I've dubbed it, by the way, because I don't want to say isolation teaching or anything like that. Right. Um, but so I'm, I'm comfortable, you know, doing that. Um, my, my class is set up around the fact that I have students that are out a lot anyway. So I want them to be able to just come into class and, and be able to kind of pick right up. But, um, I, I do terribly, terribly miss the in-person aspects to it. You know, I, I've, 
I've kind of mentioned this before that I really, really love just being in a classroom and having students answer questions and being able, our students ask questions and being able to answer those questions and allow the class to just kind of organically take itself where it will. Um, and, and in this case, it is obviously a little bit more difficult. Um, we are not allowed to do any video conferencing with students. So we can't do Zoom classes or anything like that. We don't do chat rooms. We can only communicate via email or Google Classroom. Um, and students, at least my students, uh, just aren't used to communicating that way. Um, so the, the interactions with students is limited. Obviously the students that are involved email me and we talk all the time, but others I haven't even heard from. So I, I do miss that aspect to it. That's interesting. I've heard a lot of different plans from different schools, even within Alabama. Are you one of the only school systems that's not allowing Zoom and that kind of thing? Because I thought I'd heard a lot of places were. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, Shelby County is a huge system, so there's a lot of schools uh, that are that are uh, you know uh, encompassed within that. But as far as other school systems, yeah, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, I do know that if you've you know been on Facebook or Twitter or any kind of social media, people are talking about using Zoom. You know, like just like they would calling or texting people now. Zoom is just a part of our lives. Um, but I don't know if they are allowing or requiring these meetings. A teacher friend of mine that teaches, I believe in Huntsville and she's a primary teacher and I know she uses zoom with her kids. So it seems that, yeah, some places in Alabama are doing these and some are not. I think our main reason was just, you know, with, with everything happening so quickly and trying to get all of this up and ready, there's obviously, you know, you kind of have to lay out some ground rules and, and there's some liability, you know, issues with having students and teachers communicating um, at home like this. So I think my school system just said, Hey, it'll be easier if we just don't allow it. I, by the way, was not criticizing that decision. I actually think it's a good decision because I've seen way too many things on TikTok and everywhere yes. else where people <laughs> yes, are posting yes, videos yes. of their meetings and people, you know, streaking behind people. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that was my, that was my exact reasoning, uh, or uh, my, what I assumed their reasoning was. And I was, I was initially bummed out because I thought it would be very handy if not to require these zoom meetings, it just least make them, uh, you know, give the students an opportunity, but knowing my students who I love dearly, uh, you know, the, yeah, streaking inappropriate clothes and behavior and comments and just, I can absolutely see them being silly and just wanting to play around, but not realizing, you know, how serious it could be for like a student to streak on a zoom video with a teacher. So I think that was their reasoning and just kind of saying, Hey, we're, we're not going to worry about this. Yeah. I think I've heard a lot of discussion at the college level. I mean, a community college where we are doing zoom, but some teachers I think are, requiring or quote unquote requiring it as class time. They're trying to replace the time in class with the, with the zoom lecture or whatever. Right. I right. Have, I did start out by having zooms like at the time that we were going to have class. And I quickly learned that was just not going to work. And yeah. because only a few people showed up anyway, and it's just not the same. It's, I've, I've been right. online for a long time and 
I rarely have live class sessions when I'm teaching online. I, I might post a video or something, but I'm not, I do post videos, but I don't because people's schedules changed. And so mm. when this, all this started happening, people were like, Oh, just do it at the regular class time. I'm like, well, but their, their schedules have changed. They may not be available. Right. Right. And it just doesn't work. There's accessibility issues and things like that. Right. Yeah. And that's like, and I'm going to, I'm going to mention this. And if you want to get into it more, we can, um, but I don't want to get too far off topic, but yeah, that's kind of my reasoning as well. Like, like I do love the interaction, um, being a science teacher and the, the content and the way I teach, um, I am really limited because I do a lot of demonstrations and we do a lot of labs and things. So, but even that, you know, one of my big issues is uh, starting school as early as we do. Um, you know, my students asked me if I was in charge, what's the first thing I would do? The first thing I would do is get rid of homework. The second thing I would do is nobody would enter the school before nine o'clock. Um, and so I am, am in a way glad that students can now, you know, stay up late without having to worry about, you know, getting up and being groggy and tired and, and scheduling yeah, I'm trying to schedule these uh, Zoom sessions during normal times, students just aren't going to be up. You know, we can give them a chance to sleep in and, and be rested and uh, not kind of try and force these weird arbitrary time restraints during a quarantine when it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I feel like this whole, obviously this is a crazy, weird thing that I guess, I guess, you, you can't be prepared for perfectly. Well, I know you can't be prepared perfectly for anything. I think we could have been a little more prepared than we were in education. Yes. But it seems to me at this time that like from my perspective, the decisions just seem to be so haphazard in my, yes. where I am. I don't, I don't, can't speak for where you are, but it's just, it's like, well, we'll, we'll do this and we'll do that. And I'm like, are they really going to learn anything right now? You're right, right, right. It's, I, it was the same thing for me. Yeah. First of all, yeah, the decisions did seem kind of haphazard and it, it I understand that this is, it, it, you're right. It is a big deal. We're not prepared for it. I, you know, I, how often do global pandemics pop up? I don't think there necessarily needs to be anything in your bylaws preparing you for this, but on our end, it definitely did seem like, you know, we were originally we were going to start school back April 6th. Well, on April 5th or, or April 4th, we got an email saying, you know, hey, we're going to do things this way when we could have been preparing for weeks. And then, you know, a little bit later, we found out school was going to be done for the rest of the year. So, you know, the day before that, we had to make accommodations. It just seems like there's a lot of hoping to wait until the very last minute. And, you know, hopefully this would all blow over and then it doesn't. And so on the fly, we have to just kind of figure these things out. And so I, I definitely think that's led to a lot of confusion and, and you know, rush timetables and things like that. But, but yeah, my, I was, I was kind of bummed out about losing the rest of the year and, and not that like, Oh gosh, I'm not going to get to cover, you know, standards, you know, blah, 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 or whatever. I don't, I don't, I think there's a lot, way too much focus on, you know, we have to get through X amount of material each year. But I definitely felt like we are, you know, taking away a sizable chunk of potential learning that students could get to. But I, I'm also thinking now, yeah, like 
what is there a benefit to just throwing information up on the internet and having students go through it just to say we did you know are students genuinely learning and genuinely uh you know getting anything out of this other than just us being able to kind of check some boxes and say we did it um and and and, and i'm sure we'll get into this later so i'll i'll, I'll hold off on my big rant with that but <laughs> obviously it's going to come down to how we adjust our teaching and our methods uh, you know, during this, if we if we don't make any adjustments to our kind of underlying underlying paradigm as to what we're trying to do, then yeah, it could get really arbitrary real fast. So, I agree with that. There, and the one of the things that bothers me always is how little faculty is consulted in these decisions. Yes, yes, yes. And right now, more than ever, we should be leading the we should well medical experts should be leading with us right 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 i don't i'm yet to see a big panel convene at the community college state level with medical experts and faculty they're just the chancellor sent out a message to all the colleges for each college to come up with its own plan and then he would approve it and i just think that is so ridiculous yes um Anyway, we do as as in, as I always say instructors because that's what we call ourselves. <laughs> yeah, right. Teachers, as teachers, we should be leading the the the. I don't want to call it the fight, but we need to figure out now how to best serve our students. In like at the end of the semester, I have found in the, the last few weeks, I have found that the best successes I have, and y'all can't do this probably in K through twelve, but I actually had to get on the phone with students, individual Zoom sessions, it becomes much, it's becoming much more individualized for me. Yes. On the other hand, there are people who just, I cannot get in touch with them. I got, I have their phone numbers, I have their email, I cannot get them to respond. And I don't, the, imp, the, the impulse is to start blaming the student and say, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying, I don't wanna do that because I know how much is going mm. on, but it is frustrating. Yes. It does call for some, just putting information up on the, on the internet if, on, on, in Canvas for us, it doesn't mean that they're going to look at it. Even right. Even make the most beautiful videos with screen captured things where you, I mean, you could do the most wonderful. Yes. <laughs> no one's accessing it or even if, if they don't have access to it. What's the point? I don't. Right. Are y'all still grading? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we are. So again, that's, um, and, and this was my, this was my biggest fear. And I, I haven't, because we are so isolated um, and because we're not doing any kind of, you know, uh, group consulting sessions, getting together as a faculty and planning, I'm just terribly afraid that, uh, and, and we've talked about this before, you know, so many teachers, uh, and, and really it's kind of what we think of when we think of education we think of education as teachers have access to just raw information, words on a page. And our goal or our job is to get students to read or remember those facts and information on a page. And even when, you know, we're, we're not doing, you know, all this crisis management teaching or, or whatever, when we're just in a classroom, you know, that really just undermines the whole point of education. We don't need students to go to school for eight hours a day if all they're doing is memorizing words on a page. But to then all of a sudden, they're in this crisis when there's, there's panic, you know, people are sick, there's students who, yeah, lack access to 
not only the resources they need for their classes, but their students who are, you know, hungry and, and maybe in abusive homes or, uh, you know, uh, students who are or parents are worried they're going to be able to keep the power on, whatever. And just to say, hey, you students during all of this have to be able to mentally, you know, flip this switch and take this just as seriously uh, as you would, you know, when we're in class, but us not fundamentally changing really what it is or why we're doing it, it just doesn't make sense. And I just can't see students, you know, it, it, it's unreasonable to expect these students to make, you know, what we would call this mature decision to just decide to take it seriously. It's our job to, to present it to them in a way and to motivate them. And I just don't think what we're doing now is going to accomplish that. It's not, it's not. And, you know, I guess I know that things differ be, between different subject areas. Like I think that teaching college level one English, for instance, is a little more, is a, I think it's less difficult online than teaching calculus probably. Mm, right, right. Not, I don't know if difficult is the right word, but because the things that I do in a classroom, well, I'm never doing that memorization, you know, it, right. writing, it really is. A lot of my instruction already occurs when I look at their papers and I comment on them. And I've always, for the last six or seven years, I leave voice comments on their papers. So a lot yes. of my instruction with them is one-on-one. -on -one. And you don't have to be in the classroom to write a paper. So I feel a little bad for people who are teaching subjects that maybe their the class time is. I know I have math colleagues who are with their students online working, you know, doing problems and things like that. I see them doing it. They're, they're sharing their videos, which they probably shouldn't be, <laughs> but, uh, <You're> right. <laughs> but I see it, you know, so I know that they're, they're working hard. It's just, I just, I don't know what, I, I, I don't know what to think of all this. I don't know. I get really worried that I'm doing a disservice to students by even expecting them to turn something in. Yes. And then on the other hand, I feel like I'm doing a disservice. If I don't, I told them, I said, look <laughs> at the very, you know, the worst thing that can happen is I'll give you an incomplete and then you'll have an extra semester to complete your last paper. But that's right. not ideal either because I have seen so many people when they get an incomplete because my life goes on and my classes go on and their lives go on and their <laughs> classes go on. You, it's harder to keep up with each other. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. So completing that work, taking the incomplete may seem like a, an easy way out or a good way out right now, but I don't know. And then, you know, I, I know it's different with different systems and everything. But, you know, I told them, you know, I've, uh, not that I think of it as a business, but I also want them to get their money's worth. You know, they, they want their right. education. So I'm trying yes. to deliver that, you know, the last bit of class. So I just feel really torn about it. And, and I don't know, I don't feel that, I guess, I guess other teachers must feel the same way. I don't feel oh, that yeah, I'm overreacting. Absolutely. No, no, not at all. I mean, <clears throat> I, for instance, like, uh, and I, I think I mentioned this the last time uh, we talked, but I don't do, I don't, I don't have due dates in that I don't punish students if they don't turn something in on the date that I expected it, because there is just, there is no scientific uh, educational evidence whatsoever that says, you know, counting points off or punishing students in any way results in more students doing more work and turning it in on time. So if just 
if we have evidence that that doesn't work, it's insane to me that we count off for things like this. But I think what it comes down to is, you know, a lot of teachers, people, administrators, whatever, they're not even, their mindset isn't, well, our goal here is to increase the amount students do and decrease the amount of uh, late work. They think, okay, well, not turning something in on time is bad, and therefore you should receive a punishment or a negative consequence for it. And if our, I, I just, and, and you know this about me, I'm not, negative reinforcement or punishment is just not the way to drive society. If, as educators, our mindset has to be goals and accomplishments, not just, you know, identifying bad behaviors. And so if, if, if we kind of fundamentally have to say our job as teachers or instructors or educators is to expect, you know, results or, or meet some goals, then we have to think about what those goals are and work towards them. And just, again, just saying, hey, here's this work, do it. You know, are we, for instance, writing a paper that your, your class allows for a really good example. You know, your class just isn't, okay, I want students to have written, you know, five papers, a persuasive essay, a narrative, and then a couple research papers. It's your goal is to, and, and process information and to better. And just throwing stuff up on the internet to say we gave an assignment is just absolutely not going to do that. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's all, I, I, I've been very careful not to, sometimes when I'm complaining during this, I, I, I'll be like, I'm not really, I know that people, you can't hold people to the same standard during a crisis like this. Mm-hmm. I'm already, you know, somebody at work one time told me, cause I was complaining about some administrator and she said to me, well, you, she just can't eat a cracker for you. Can't she? So she said, sometime, <laughs> I was like, what? She said, one time someone told her that she, you know, she was so critical of this person they couldn't even eat a cracker the right way. So <laughs> I will fully disclose that sometimes I come across that, that way with administration. But I do just, I wonder as I'm a, I, I love education. I love thinking about it. I love talking to other people about it. And I feel that we need more communication between secondary and post-secondary within post-secondary, yes. secondary, secondary, with it across administrative and faculty lines. So yes. when I get to talk to you, it's always so interesting to me because I just wonder, I feel like the administrative structure in secondary is better than in post-secondary, but I don't know. It's, it's definitely different um, for sure. And I, I certainly think the, the potential is is better um so yeah and and, and i uh, just just because i know you and I, and i i i see what you write and post and what you talk about so um you do have uh, uh i think you consider the administration and the relationship between instructors and administration more than most people do um which knowing my political views, I'm, I'm sure you can see why that appeals to me as well. But that, uh, yeah, that relationship, I, I think the problems come in that education, like everything else, has been co-opted by, you know, business and work 
Um, and so rather than education being this kind of, you know, uh, societal pursuit that we, you know, it, it, it's, it's not that we're a, a business trying to crank out a product. Education shouldn't be that. Education is, you know, it, it's something we do as a society to prepare people and, and educate them. And uh, really, and I, I don't want to sound too, you know, utopian here, but the, the goal is to make our society better because of providing people with knowledge and access to it. But education has been co-opted, I, I think, by kind of the modern labor environment, which is you have bosses and you have workers and bosses make decisions and workers accommodate towards those decisions. And so our administrators, I, I, I think, take on that mindset. And I think our teachers view it the same way. So, you know, administrators just don't think this is, you know, I'm just, my job is just, uh, you know, to, to have a role in this. And that role should blend with the educators, the teacher's role. I think they think they're the boss and they're in charge. So they come up with the decisions and then teachers, you know, uh, obey those decisions. And, and, and yeah, it's, it is hugely, hugely important that we get away from that model and that, you know, even aside from this, from this crisis in school, whenever we have faculty meetings and we're, we're told of changes or things that are coming up or the way we're going to do things, you know, we always, some of us teachers always talk about how we are not consulted in any way whatsoever. And, you know, for just a couple administrators to make decisions for this entire body is just wild. Um, I literally had a, a an administrator. We were, uh, I'll, I'll tell this story kind of quickly. We were, we got an extension onto our building because our school is just ridiculously small. Our school was built in the nineties for a four a high school. And now we're almost a seven a high school and we haven't gotten a new building. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It was built for about 400 students and now we have like 1400. So it's, it's cramped, but we got a new building and the administrators, uh, assuming that, you know, everybody would want to move into the new building, which was not true. So instead of just moving some people as needed, the administrators decided to literally move every single teacher in the building so that nobody could complain <laughs> or, 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 or at least that everybody was complaining about the same thing. So it would cancel out like instead of, instead of, you know, putting a survey on Google classroom and saying, you know, would you like to move? Would you like to stay? Or, you know, meeting with the departments to figure out what the needs are and what can be done. It was just, I'm going to make this unilateral, unilateral decision, which is, everybody moves so that everybody is upset. So nobody can complain. And I just, yeah. that is just the wildest thing to me. And, and I think that just goes back to what you were talking about, which is, yeah, it, it's, we just don't have a, a, a blending between the administrative side and the teacher side. It's there's people in charge, there's others. And I really, 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 yeah, I think that's something that we, we absolutely need to fix because if, if administrators aren't talking to the teachers and getting their feedback and figuring out what their needs are and what they're encountering on you know a day-to-day -day basis, how are they making these decisions at all? Right, and I think what you're so right about is the model itself of 
it's almost like a factory in a way, I guess, or a corporation. Mm, yes, yes. And so what happens in, yes. in, the, in, the, in the community college system, at least, is, for instance, in my college, I'm, st- I'm not going to name names, but in my college, there's you know, the president, the president's cabinet, um, <laughs> the deans, right. a district, mm-hmm. a division chair. Instead of department chairs, they call their discipline chairs. I'm the English discipline chair. That mentality that the dean somehow represents the instructors because they have a title. Right, right, right. That's a very corporate attitude to me. That's not yes. democratic at all. That, no. In fact, I can tell you for truth that it's very rare to actually have a conversation with a dean of instruction who probably oh, has yeah. no idea what the majority of us think except Correct. the people who are squeaky, you know, squeaky like me, I'm a squeaky. Right, right, so I'm con- right. I'll send emails and say, this is what I think, but there's no structure, f- you know, f- for teachers and there's right. no, res- and the pay reflects that in, in, in the, in the strat, in the strat, the way everything's stratified, right? Like yeah. administrators oh, yeah. make a hundred, you know, pr- college presidents in the, in the Alabama community college system make around $200,000. The chancellor, makes three, the chancellor makes 300,000. The deans make 120, 130, or at least 80 or 90, which is still more than I'll ever make as a teacher. So oh, yes. I just, and it's not just me complaining that I'm not, I don't, I also think that there's a lot of psychological aspects that go into it that come with that mentality of, of our society where it's like, like, I call it, you know, the old fashioned term social climbing. I know that sounds awful. Yes. I do think yeah, no. like to have titles and positions and they love to climb and they love to, there are people who love to, who, 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 who really respond to authority differently than I do is what I'm going to say. And yes. I just, the whole system and what it's not just about, it's not about me not liking it. It really does affect the quality of the education for our students because of that. The, the system's not set up right. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's not just about me oh, or no, you as teachers. It really, I know people use this as an excuse. One time I'm, I brought up a, a complaint and, the, and this, the, this woman said, well, it's, it's good for students. And I'm like, okay, you can't just say, it's not like a, <laughs> it's not a magic wand. Right. Right. Anyway, I know I just right. went off on a tangent, but. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, so first of all, I don't feel bad about saying this. Uh, I know some people are weird about discussing their pay. I think as a society, that's something that we should get past. Again, if I can just make a political statement really quickly, it, the 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 man, if I can, doesn't want us to talk about our pay openly because if everybody knew what everybody got paid, there would be some some angry people. So I wish we would move past that. But uh, teacher pay, get on the internet right now and look up how much I get paid and everyone else. So mm-hmm. I, I don't feel bad about saying this, but yeah, principals principals in the Shelby County school system make almost double. Uh, well, triple sometimes in cases what, you know, an entry level teacher makes. And yeah, it's, it's so wild. And that's not even counting when you go to the central office, if you make it to the central office, you're immediately day one making six figures. And we, we, you would assume that the central office, because it is the, the hub, you know, the, the kind of the, 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 the central, the centralized, you know, hub of, of, uh, the school system, you would assume that the the best and the brightest would work their way up. But the truth is, it, it's just, it, it's social climbing or, or, or career climbing. That's exactly what yeah. it is. People who I, 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 I again, I won't say names, um, but it is not uncommon for people to openly talk about 
wanting to get a central office gig so that they can make more money and not have to do anything. And that, I mean, yeah. I, it, it not only is that offensive to me, you know, as a, as someone who needs money to live, uh, it, it's, it's wrong. It, it does not do right. It does not do this institution justice. If we were to start getting together and, you know, administrators were working with teachers and the central office was coming to teachers and allowing the teachers to, you know, provide feedback and, and be involved in the, in the, the planning and the building of this institution, I think we would very, very quickly realize that teachers are the power and that there's a, probably a lot of administrative positions that just aren't needed. And they're just there for careerists to climb their way up and have a title. Because if teachers are getting together and making the decisions, we don't really need, you know, a, the, the, the office of instruction and, and, you know, someone to, to be the, the, the head authority of that. It would, it would be us. So, um, and again, I, I'm letting my politics kind of bleed into this a bit, but it's, you know, that, that power of, of solidarity and of people coming together is so critical and important that, you know, the, the enemies to it definitely have to prevent it from happening. And this isn't even like a, you know, a, a revolution take over the world kind of thing. Just if, if to make education better, we have to get teachers together talking about the successes that we have and the problems that we have. And then we have to build, you know, out from around that. And if we're not doing that, if these positions aren't doing that, yeah, I, I just don't know what the role is. And, and when you slap six figures on top of that, which I could work for a hundred years and never see six figures, uh, it, it really just does kind of get insulting. And to say that it's somehow better for students uh, is, is just treating us like we don't even know what's going on. So it is very frustrating. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I'm thinking about how to go about galvanizing <laughs> teachers in the yes. state across secondary and post-secondary because I think that's what it would actually take. Yes, absolutely. It's hard to crack power. Oh, it, yes. It yes. really is. I, and, and, and I know this, we all know this. I, you keep saying, you know, I'm letting my politics come into this. That's fine <laughs> with me because one of the things I've learned, first of all, this is the last podcast interview that we'll do fox and i are going to do a, like a retrospective for the very last episode for the season like looking back okay the last recorded interview that i'm doing uh and i think next year when i come back i'm going to be a lot more not what's the word i'm looking for mm, uh, well i don't know i don't know what the word is but i love <laughs> the fact that we're ending with you because I'm not wrapping up the interview yet. Don't worry. Because <laughs> I want to explore things a little more deeply and put, and, and I've never been a person afraid to push buttons or to, 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 to say things that are necessarily unpopular. Right. One of the things that I'm finding out right now, you know, when I was younger, I was a libertarian. In my right. we, hey, we all go through that phase. It happens. So, and I try so hard on social media, not to be political mm -hmm. because I don't want to, I don't know. It's the audience. I, 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 as someone who studied rhetoric, I really am always obsessed with the audience. And I'm like, well, who am I really talking to? Like if I'm, if I'm on Facebook and being political, I, I, I know pretty much everybody in my list 
but but also I, I I don't want people to think that I think what I don't think. So right, right, right. I, I don't want to piss people off. Shut up, Fox. <laughs> one of the things that I'm learning because you know the de the deprogramming from libertarianism has been very slow. Not yes. slow. It's hard. But if you look at what's going on right now with healthcare and you compare it to education, what is the big deal in people's minds that they can accept that we need public education, but we don't need public health? <laughs> I, oh, I yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and I remember I've heard libertarian arguments that, okay, if you think that healthcare is a right, and I'm not turning this into, about, into healthcare, I really do have an analogy, a point. Okay. But if you say, you know, healthcare can't be a right because you're turning, you know, that, that means I've heard this argument. I'm sure you have that doctors oh, are slaves. Doctors and slaves. Yes, yes, yes. I'm <laughs> like, well, are teachers slaves? Are, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, you can, I saw something you posted the other day and it made me think about this. You said, somebody asked, you said, what would my, what would my Ted talk be about if I were going to have a Ted yes, talk? Yes, 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 yes. And someone said to you something to do with socialism and innovation. And yes. I was like, well, that's really interesting because that is a, a party line with, with, with sort of right-leaning capitalistic theory that yeah. that's where innovation comes from. But we, even though we have a lot of complaints about education, there have been innovations and we've done, we've had some great successes in public education, you know, oh, absolutely. because we're struggling and need to change and do some things doesn't mean that it's a failure. So right. it seems that other areas of our, of our economy or of our country could run under similar guidelines, I guess, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, the, I, I have found, uh, I, I, I would never have described myself as libertarian. I don't think I ever went through a libertarian phase, uh, except I think, you know, and, and we all do this, especially growing up in the South, there is kind of a, you know, the, the government or the man is my enemy. He's not really taking care of me. So therefore it's bad kind of a thing. Um, and, and, you know, if, if we're, you know, uh, being a socialist, I, uh, I love to say that real true libertarians don't really exist because if you start scratching enough, you're going to end up realizing that most people do want, some form of a state, some form of centralized power that that can, uh, you know, validate the, the the things that we need or want as a society. The issue with this, I think, is that libertarianism has this this idea that government or centralized power structures kind of are, are inherently bad because. You're not letting markets operate. And you're not letting things, you know, go as they naturally would. There's some kind of uh, a tension or pressure preventing things from working out how they should. I didn't have an, an explicit libertarian phase in my life, but I definitely did have a point. I was apolitical up until I kind of got into politics all of a sudden really quickly. But I definitely did growing up in the South. Uh, for a long time, kind of have a sense that, you know, the the government is against me somehow. The government's not good, and so therefore it's bad. Um, so, you know, uh, there's always kind of this this tension between people and the government. But, you know, that that's, I, I, it's just not true. I mean, if we have 
uh, a system uh, in which the people have power. It just doesn't make sense to say a government that is made up by people is bad for the people. Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the issue I think that most people have and, and where a lot of libertarians kind of lose the, lose the, the, the thread is that most people just don't feel like they have any real power or involvement in our government right now. But if we were to switch and just, you know, as a thought experiment, if we had a, like a more direct democracy, if, if being in Congress or president or, uh, you know, some other kind of high level government position, if people didn't feel like it only went to, you know, this kind of fall nobility class that we have, well, then people would feel a part of it and people would understand that we can direct it. But the truth is, yeah, we, we just don't really have that in a way that, that most of us want. And so libertarians kind of take this and say, well, let's just get rid of it and we'll just let everything open, you know, work on a free market. And, you know, if, if we don't regulate anything, well, then good stuff will continue to be good and all the bad stuff will go away right. and it'll, it'll, it'll sell itself. But obviously that, that just doesn't happen. I mean, it I, I don't want to get in. You're right. I don't want to get into a big, here's why libertarianism isn't true. But, you know, if you, for instance, have a market and one company outperforms all the others to the point that they don't survive and you're just left with one and they're a monopoly, well, then they don't have to operate by market tension anymore. They can just do whatever they want and we have to adjust. So right, right there, it doesn't work. Imagine a society. I think this is all analogous to the way some of the complaints I have about the way education systems are set up. Because again, the faculty who are the vast majority of the people employees, I'm sorry, in that system, (laughs) the students, of course, matter in terms of employees, they really don't have that much of a voice. And in society, oftentimes, even though we're a democracy, it doesn't, I know we get to vote, but it just doesn't seem that we're directly involved or have that much power. We can feel very powerless. And the, and the truth of the matter is that you can feel the same way in a corporation or a company where you work. In fact, you probably do. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And the idea that somehow government is bad and business is good is such a myth. It's yes. It is, there can be good government, bad government, good business, bad business. I mean, it's just this black and white thinking. And over the last, well, when I finally broke away from sort of more libertarian views, I just realized that I was, it was this, this fantasy world. There is no yes. such thing as, I mean, you know, people say right now during the pandemic, they're like, let me go back. We got to get back to our economy. And, you know, if you don't want to participate, you don't have to. Well, yeah, you do. If you're, if your employer is now no longer officially uh, shut down and then you have to go to work and you can no longer, exactly. you know, I mean, it's not sure right. I can stay home and not go shop if that's what, but right. you hear a lot of that mentality of, well, I'm really going out there today. You, the, <laughs> this, you know, this is my business. This is my living. This is, I did this, but none of what I learned more and more throughout my life is that we, nobody, nobody is independent. You are not as independent as you think you are. Absolutely. You're driving on government roads or you right. power. <laughs> right. that's, I mean, like, and, and when you wake up in the morning, you're everything that you do. You're not even responsible. You didn't create electricity. Like the idea that you're right. independent and that we don't somehow have, things that we owe each other, you know, common. I just, I can't even believe right now that people are having to struggle. Thank God I'm not having to, 
But there are people yeah. who, can, who are struggling to pay rent, to get food. That should not happen. And that oh, absolutely. Be yeah. like a bleeding heart thing to say. <laughs> it seems like well, a human thing to say. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's my, you know, that's, that's my biggest thing when, when, you know, people, most people's understanding of socialism comes from textbooks and, and, and I don't want to sound like a crank, but lots of propaganda. Yeah. Um, you know, I ask my students all the time, I, uh, you know, Hey, what, what is capitalism? What is socialism? What is communism? What is this? You know, and, and the truth is most students just don't know, but even something like socialism students, you know, they just think, Oh, it's authoritarianism, you know? And it's like, well, you know, you can have a Pinochet was, uh, an, an authoritarian centrist liberal, you know, Hitler was, a uh, an authoritarian fascist. It, it's, it's all over the map, you know? Yeah. But just, saying you know as a socialist my my base view is i want to make life as good as possible for everyone equally if we just start off with that premise it why on earth is that bleeding heart or 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 ridiculous in some way you know to say no 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 you know society is better when we have some people who struggle and some people who never have to worry in their lives. That, that, that is so bizarre to me. And, you know, when it comes to, to libertarians and, and yeah, and this, you know, re reliance is bad kind of a thing. Uh, it, it, you just don't see a lot of libertarians who are off the grid, you know? So yeah. like you said, right. they, they're relying on government roads and electricity and all these things. And th that's really, I think why I'm, I'm drawn to education. One reason I'm drawn to education is because I just like to learn and I, I really do like to just ramble on about things I know about as everyone can probably tell already. Um, but I, it, it to me, it, aside from, again, the, the current corporatizing of it with Pearson and ACT and it, you know, it's charter schools, it's capitalism is trying to take over education yes. for sure. But just at its basic level, this idea that we should get together and educate our populace because it makes things better is just such a beautifully simple and, 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 and noble and productive institution, you know, and to get to be a part of that is really why I'm drawn to it because it, it, we could very easily get rid of, you know, the ability to make money off of education. Like I said, getting rid of Pearson and, you know, Glencoe, McGraw-Hill and ACT and all of these, businesses that are essentially just buying up parts of education. If we just say schools are publicly funded, people go and they learn. Um, that's awesome. That is literally just getting together and doing something as a society to make the world better without profit. And yeah, it's so easy to think, well, if we can do that, why don't we just, you know, not make it so that people can make money off of healthcare? Why don't we just give people that? <laughs> you know, if, and you can still have innovations in science and because it exactly. happens everywhere. <laughs> right. And that's, that's what I, I, I don't know if we, uh, we got cut off and I don't know if I was saying that or if I caught this, but you know, the USSR, the, 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 the big bad, you know, commie enemy to the, to the U S was the first country to make it to space. Yeah. Um, you know, we were the first country to make it to the moon, but it was close, you know, and, 
So to say, yeah, you know, uh, competi- good innovation only works when you have capitalism and competition, that's, that's not true at all. It's just such a false narrative to say you have to have some kind of competition in which those that are left behind flounder to say that we need innovation, right? And, and school is, is, in a sense, now there's plenty of socialists who will disagree with this, but it is a socialized institution in which we're all getting together and funding it in order just to make things better. So if we just run with that, there's, yeah, it, it, they, it's, people don't want to run with that because it's so easy to see how we can just do things for the public good and, and you know, makes the world better, but people don't profit. Obviously, profits come before people in our current system, which, which we're seeing right now. Um, you know, it's, I, I saw someone on Twitter uh, saying, it's so wild that corporations are refusing to help out their employees during the refusing to pay them, you know, refusing to give bonuses to the workers who are out there, you know, keeping us alive, et cetera. But yet they'll make commercials celebrating them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a crazy time and uh, there's so much, there's so much we could talk about. There's this assignment that I do with my English 101 class where I have them read this article that a woman who teaches at George Washington University wrote about basically about using in the, in the writing classroom, using things other than just writing itself to talk about and yes. read about. So, yeah. but as part of her article, as part of the, the, as part of the theoretical base for why she wants to do that, why she wants classes to be sort of theme based instead of just, you know, I'm going to stand at the board and talk about grammar for an hour. Right, right, right. She, part of her, she has t- sort of a two pronged one. The first is obvious. She thinks students needs, she thinks students need to be engaged in order to learn. So engaging yes. them is something that other than just writing itself as they're right. learning writing. But the other thing is that she thinks that students have been, her name is Sandy Friedman. Students have been pressured into thinking that college is the be all end all in terms of, moving up the social ladder, making more money, getting a better job that when they come to school and they're taking these core classes like English 101 and and all the math class, whatever they have to take, that they're thinking to themselves, what the hell does this have to do with, with my career? Exactly. Yes. And my students and I will have this conversation. She says that having these theme based classes, not only keeps students interested, it allows them to see a a view to experience education in a way that we don't anymore necessarily, which is just learning for the sake of learning, becoming right. Smarter, more intelligent about the world around you, better citizens, better people. And we always have this conversation in the class when, when we read that article, but I think a lot of students, especially students who are coming from the working class and struggling already really just see education, higher education, especially as this sort of pragmatic step to a degree, uh, to, yes. to a, to a job. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's, that's a challenge. <laughs> it's really a challenge. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. And yeah, I mean, I science, uh, while a lot of students find a lot of science fascinating, it is that in math, we constantly encounter students saying, yeah, stuff like, why do I need to know this? You know, if I'm teaching uh, Earth and space science, why do I need to know the history of the universe? Why do I need to know how the planet Earth formed or the names of the moons of Jupiter or something, you know? And it, it, 
it is, it's, it's tough because the truth is our society is, is built around work. It's built around your job because how do we live in the world when we need money? How do you get money? You get it from a job. How do you get a job? You have to get educated, et cetera. So everything is just kind of this direct line. It's exactly like you were just saying, students don't walk into the school and they haven't been prepped to think, okay, this is just something that makes things better. It is a means to an end. But if you, if you go into it with that, with that thought process, you know, you, you might as well say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not here just to learn for learning's sake. I need to streamline. So I just know exactly what I need to know. Um, and it, it, it's really hard to, to, yeah, to, to, to break that with just some kind of like witty response. It takes a lot of conversation and working through ideas. And so, but yeah, I encounter it all the time as well. And, And when, you know, when students will ask me something like that, you know, it's okay. Well, and you know, we, we, we didn't understand, you know, the, the, the germ theory of disease wasn't discovered. Well, some, 1500s, some could say you could make an argument for the 1700s, but, you know, figuring out that you need to wash your hands was a really a huge change in our ability to keep people healthy and clean and prevent disease. Um, And so, you know, I kind of like to tell my students, you know, think about that. Think about learning about the germ theory of disease and how germs are transmitted and how we can prevent that and how people learning about that and then washing their hands just as a whole made society better. You didn't have to be a doctor to know to wash your hands and have an impact on the world. It was just enough. Or what about the ability to read? You know, if everyone just learns how to read, think about how much easier it is to access, you know, uh, the world and how much easier and better it is for you to go through and interact with the world if you know how to read it i could easily come you know think of you know a gazillion jobs that you wouldn't have to read you could just do the labor and shut up and not ever have to worry about it but look how much better it is when we know how to do that and so and then i also make this point which they don't find nearly as satisfying but it is you know most students even if they don't want to would would readily agree that being smarter, whatever that means, and obviously ACT scores and intelligence tests isn't smart, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, being smarter is better. So, um, and I always like to reference, because boy, do students love to talk about algebra and how pointless algebra is. So, but I always tell them, we've done a huge number of studies that show people who learn algebra, even if they don't use algebra, if they don't work equations, just the the process of learning algebra makes you smarter. It rewires your brain to consider variables and how variables interact and affect each other and, you know, how how different parts affect, you know, what's on the other side of the equal sign. And that's just good, you know, logical, reasonable think, reason, reasoned thinking, even if you're not doing algebra. So it's the same thing, learning the scientific method and how to do a good experiment even if you're not going to be a professional researcher, understanding how to do kind of, you know, a, a, a controlled, uh, a controlled test to get a trustworthy answer is just important. So, you know, figuring out how to, how to translate that into students and, and student motivation is, is certainly a challenge, but 
unfortunately, there is, again, you can't just hand students a textbook or a PowerPoint and say, read this, and it's going to have that light turn on. You have to start right. from, you know, kindergarten and work all the way through to get them to understand that. I think I want a t-shirt that says being smarter is better. Yeah. That's really, I mean, it's yeah. just so obvious, right? But there is, there is yes. such an anti-intellectualism in our society. I think that yes. we, I yes. think that if we could get that message out there, what, what is the, what is the benefit of learning? It's learning. It's yeah, it, exactly. Learning. Yeah. It's just right. And um, then, it, Oh, go ahead. It's kind of like saying, what is the, what's, what is, what is good about living? Yeah. Well, living, living is, yeah. is good. Not dying is good. You don't have to read, you know what I mean? There's, there's no addition there. So what well, is it? Why is it good to not be bad? I don't know. Cause it's good. <laughs> and sometimes being smarter can make you live longer and better. For instance, yes. during a pandemic, when you're refusing yeah. to listen yes. <laughs> to and read science that yes. clearly says, you know, one of the, and I think this will be our, we're go I'm going to put us on a trajectory to end here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because okay. uh, I think we could go on forever. But, oh, yes. um, one of the things that's frustrating to me, both in society right now and in education is this push in some quarters to get back. Everybody's getting people, not everybody. Some people are getting a little antsy. They want to get back. And yes. just, it's not common sense because I don't, it, but or it should be. If we, why would you want everybody to be exposed right now? Why would you want to put more people in crowds, more people out in public? Why? And okay, hear me on this. What okay. drives me crazy right now in education, especially where I am, I can't speak for secondary, but they're just, everybody's making different decisions. Everybody's trying to figure out when do we go back? When do we go back? Well, why do we, I feel like, okay, I don't want to end up without a paycheck. I really don't. Right. But the, at the very least, education is something that can be not ideally, but some, especially in college, handled online. Like we already have yes. online classes. We already have a system for that. But there are already some schools in my system telling people that the teachers, the instructors are going to come back. One, one school told them, from what I've heard, you're going to come back one person in one building per day to answer oh phone gosh. calls and emails from students. I'm like, this is the 21st century. It sounds punitive. It sounds like they think we're not doing anything at home. So right. they want to drag us into the, now not every college is doing that, but what I don't understand is why you can't look forward and say, Hmm, a classroom is a place where a lot of people would be in a small space. So yeah, right. <laughs> why don't we go ahead and make a plan right now? Right. People are like, Oh, we'll come back. Oh, you know, when the, when the date passes, whatever it is now, you know, when they lift the, that's you can't I, look at China, look at Italy, look, look at the other places in the world that have been dealing. What are they doing? What do the experts say? Right. But it's just like these committees and little groups in power just want to make these decisions. And they keep waiting. Like you said earlier, they keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. But they'll say, well, what, right now we're going to start July 1st, probably, probably. Right. No, we're not. Yeah, right. I've been betting people. We're not coming back this summer, y'all. We're not going to be on campus this summer. And if they try to drag teachers, it doesn't make any sense. Have, they, have you heard anything about teachers having to come back at your school? No. And, and, right. So and, and here is where secondary is going to be a little different. It's because we just don't do summer classes um, or other than athletics, really. Uh, you know, the, the we, summers just aren't really something that we have to deal with that much. Um, 
even though, let me just interject with apparently it's becoming really popular for at the end of the year, students are now required to go see the teachers that they will have for the next year, especially honors and advanced and AP classes so that they can get their summer work. That's a requirement now, which just, boy, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> Give students their summers, don't do any work. No, yeah, it's exactly like you said. There, There is a rush to, to get us back. And I, I have seen on social media, not people that I follow, but just out and about, people are literally saying stuff like, you know, why are teachers getting paid for sitting at home? And it's just that idea of, how dare these people get money without contributing? They understand that the longer this goes on, it's gonna to get to a point where something like a universal basic income has to be given throughout this crisis. And healthcare has to be insured. Food has to be insured. And you know, let's say we go through six, seven, eight months of this, getting you know, some kind of basic income from the government. Healthcare is insured. You don't have to pay rent. You know, housing is just guaranteed. Well, if after eight months or so, we come out on the other side of this, we're not going to say, okay, yeah, let's go back. We've realized that how much better the world can be. We know, look how easy you can just say, you, you know, you don't have to fight for a place to live. You just deserve it. Or you don't have to fight for healthcare. You just get it. Or here's money for you to live. We're just, we're not going to be able to go back. And I think that terrifies them more than anything. So they want us to hurry up and go back before we realize how easy it is to really take care of everybody, you know, without some, some people being able to make a huge profit off of it. And, and again, if I can just kind of bring this back around, like we were saying, we were talking about education and uh, yeah, I, this is absolutely not ideal. It's not, but if, if you just forced me, you say, okay, Ben, you have to come up with a silver lining. I think we have an opportunity here, which is we are being forced in a situation to create an educational model that is completely different than, than anything we've ever done before. And so if this forces us to kind of, you know, break free from some shackles and work out new methods and change the way we're doing things, when we come out on the other side, think about how many teachers who you know, never do stuff online or make videos. All they do is lecture every day and take notes. Well, they, they, not anymore. They know how to put stuff online. They know how to, you know, access students without just lecturing and them taking notes. It's going to allow us to reform a way of doing education that is, that is different and hopefully better. Um, now, obviously if the whole goal again is just to, you know, write down words and memorize them, that there's, there's an issue there, but I think we have an opportunity socially with, you know, healthcare and, and money and, and housing um, to come <clears throat> to come out on the other side of this, realizing that a better world is possible, that, that we can do things and we don't have to have a big revolution or, you know, uh, some kind of huge, you know, additional negative crisis. We can just make things better. And, and I think with education right now, rather than say, you know, this is bad, let's just give some easy assignments so the students can get by, whatever. I think we should focus on rebuilding a model of education that when we come out of this is going to allow us to have much better resources, a much better system and way of going about doing things that really enhances the overall institution of education. 
Well, I think that's a beautiful place to end our podcast. <laughs> um, even though I could go on and on and on. Thank you so much. I'm going to... Uh, oh, absolutely. Thank you for listening to Where You Are, a podcast created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. The introductory music was Bright in the Corner Where You Are, a song performed by Billy Pollard and created by Ina Dudley Ogden and Charles Hutchinson Gabriel. All music was used with permission. Thank you again for listening, and have a nice day, wherever you are.